and we're just, uh, even though there's no COVID in Gladstone, praise God, and uh, I, that's what I've heard, no, nothing here, so we'll continue to do the right thing, but thank you. Hey, look, Children's Church is starting next Sunday as well, so just be aware of that. Uh, in the 10.30 service, that'll be happening, um, And uh, but meanwhile, uh, today certainly, you can go and grab a children's activity pack if you need that, uh, uh, if your children need that, that'll be fine, it'll be in the next service as well. Um, I... Um, I was just uh, over. We had a we had a uh, a break. We had Easter last weekend, and we just specifically uh, just uh, wanted to speak and talk about the death and resurrection of Christ, and and that was brilliant. But I just sensed, and I just want to go into uh, a new series, and uh, th- in the next several weeks, the next couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and uh, it's just entitled. I've just entitled it "Trusting God When Life Hurts," uh, because who knows? Sometimes life hurts, doesn't it? There's things that happen in life, they just, yeah. And I specifically want to speak this morning, that's the overall title, uh, Trusting God When Life Hurts, but just this morning, I want to just talk about trusting God when, when it's not fair. Uh, have you ever had any unfair things happen to you? Yeah. <laughs> in actual fact, you can go through a day, you can go through it pretty much every week, and there can be things happen that just, oh, that seems unfair. Uh, you know, that's not, uh, gee, I didn't really deserve that. But, you know, that's how life happens. And I, I want to talk about that today. I, I was uh, at a, uh, a stop sign not so long ago and pulled up in my car. And, um, and, um, and as I was kind of stopped there, um, a car flew past me on the left. There was enough room for them to go past me. It was only kind of like, it wasn't double lane. It was just single lane, but they just flew past me anyway. And as they went past me, um, the uh, guy in the front seat, he was with his wife or partner, whoever it was, uh, but he um, had some explicits to say to me. Uh, they, and the, the truth is, I was able to know what he said, even though I had my windows up because he was speaking so loudly. And uh, so he gave me some choice words. And um, I wasn't quite sure what he was really trying to say or do, uh, but I gather in reflection that he just thought I was too slow. Do you know when you get to a stage where you're too slow, you know you're over 50, don't you? And uh, so I, obviously I hadn't taken off fast enough for him. I hadn't done something. I'll never know because I've forgotten what he looks like and uh, I don't think I'll meet him again. But uh, so I was obviously, in hindsight, maybe I was too slow. That's cool. I'll own up to that. But, you know, I just thought it's unfair. That kind of, that kind of words, those kind of, ab- that kind of you know, comments, uh, you know, it's not necessary. It must get his blood pressure up. It doesn't do him any good. Uh, and, and, and for me, I, I just for those moments in time, I just felt that's unfair. And it's kind of like a little barb in your heart because you then start to think about all the things you could say or do to him. Come on, I'm not the only one. The truth is I had an opportunity because he went through this stop sign, but he pulled up at some lights. He only went about 80 meters down the road. And so I'm following along, Mr. Tortoise, following along behind. And I had to, you know, when you go, you, you don't have stoplights. You veer to the left, turn left at any time. And he was sitting right there at the stoplights. And I just felt so, oh, this is my opportunity. <laughs> And so as I go past him, I felt this incredible opportunity I had, but then I felt this incredible conviction, don't turn your head, don't say a word, don't even look at him, just keep going, it's not worth it. And so I'd like to report to you that I did that. (laughs) I didn't say anything, I didn't give him a, a mouthful, but I felt like it, not that I'd say what he said, but I did, I felt like saying... You know, because I thought, you know, I was thinking, he's probably got somewhere to be, and he wants to be there really quick. 
you know, and I felt like at least saying, now who's going to get to their home first <laughs> now with something like that? It, and, it, and, and I knew it just wouldn't be right. It just wouldn't be right. But it didn't take away the fact I had to deal, I had to deal with my inner thoughts then, didn't I? I had to deal with my attitude then. I had to kind of rise up a little bit and get a bit bigger and not be the ch- play the child, but be a bit, you know, um, you know, a bit more mature and uh, forgive and uh, move on in life. But for a moment there, it just really stuck hard and it seemed unfair. I want to talk about trusting God when life is unfair today. And um, I, uh, the, the way that I'd like to do it is I want to uh, give you, a, a, I want to look at a person's life, uh, Old Testament person, uh, David. You remember David and Goliath, the shepherd boy who became the king? Uh, many of you know this story. His life is, is told right throughout 1 and 2 Samuel. It's an amazing story. Everything about David is, is reflected there in Scripture. And all these good things and all these bad things that happened to him. But, you know, this, I'm not going to look at one, uh, chapter uh, 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel to take this series. I want to look at the Psalms because who knows? The Psalms is where David wrote about, um, you know, particular things that happened in his life. At a point in the times in his life when things unfolded that weren't good, he wrote about them. He wrote in song form. Um, and uh, there's 150 Psalms. David actually was the most prolific writer of the Psalms because he wrote 73 of them. And uh, he shares his life story. In actual fact, the Jewish people for a thousand years before the New Testament was written was using those Psalms to not only sing because they were like a songbook, but also they were personal devotions. They used them for personal devotional because they talked about the history of of the Jewish nation and it talked about the history of King David, their greatest king. And so they, they looked at the Psalms and David wrote the Psalms and often he wrote them down in a response to a pivotal moment in his life when something was not going so well. And one of those difficult things that wasn't going so well was a moment in his life when he was treated unfairly, incredibly unfairly. Um, And these were the things, mind you, that shaped David's life. And it's recorded uh, in the scripture in Psalm chapter chapter, uh, 3. Psalm 3. It's recorded. David wrote about a very sad and a very difficult thing that happened in his life. Uh, The thing and the sad and difficult thing was, uh, it was sad because David's own son, Absalom, he was the third son in line to the throne, not the first son, rose up in a military coup and tried to not only take, take his throne, but take David's life. So it was very sad for David to think his own son would rise up to not only want to take his kingdom and his throne, but to, take, to actually get rid of his father, kill his father. And it was difficult because in the midst of that, David actually had to flee from Jerusalem, had to flee from his home in Jerusalem to save his own life. And David fled uh, across the desert, if you know Jerusalem's um, uh, uh, located right there in the middle of Israel kind of thing, and he fled to the, uh, he fled to the east, across through the, through the desert, across the Jordan, and there he dwelt for a while. In actual fact, David was 60 years of age when this happened. So he wasn't a, he wasn't a young pup, he was getting on a little bit. Uh, and also, this whole event of Absalom, you know, um, trying to take his throne and take his life lasted around about three years. So it wasn't just a, like a three-week thing and it was all over. So for David, it was, a, it was a pro, a pro, you know, quite a, a moment that really he struggled with for a season in his life. And he wrote about it in Psalm chapter 3. Are you there? Do you know when I'm, where I'm going this morning? Okay, so... Um, we have to understand Absalom's attack on David was not uh, was premeditated. 
In actual fact, it started some four years earlier, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through to chapter 18. It was premeditated. It took about four years, but Absalom had planned. He was planning, premeditating this whole uh, moment when he would take over his father's throne. Uh, What a sad day for David's family, wasn't it? So let's start this series, and particularly today, trusting God when life's unfair. When life's unfair. Um, And one night... David, and, and you've got to realize he wrote Psalm 3, not when the victory had already been completed. No, he wrote it in the middle of the problem. He wrote it when he's fleeing across the desert to go to the other side of Jordan. And one night in a tent, he takes out his uh, scribe or pen or something or whatever it was. And he wrote these words and he looked up in the sky. And, he, and, he, and, he, and as he, David used to, as a shepherd boy, he would he probably worship God. And then he wrote these words. Very sobering words in Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Here we go. This is what it says. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. And many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. And then it has this wonderful little word called Selah. And the word Selah uh, basically means pause, reflect. So David's just pausing and reflecting in what he's written. He's asking the reader to pause and reflect in what he's written. And then he says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my what? Head. Come on. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And then again it says, pause and reflect, Selah. Just pause and reflect. So let's do that for a moment this morning at each of these verses. And just see, you know, uh, even though life can be unfair, uh, what the uh, incredible answer is and the victory can be in that time. In verse 1, I'll just read it again. Verse 1, Lord how they have increased how they have increased to trouble me many can you notice that word many are those who rise up against me david uses this word many uh, while david is 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 right in saying many because many had stayed who were in david's court when he was on the throne had stayed uh, to uh, serve absalom many had ser- stayed to serve absalom when david had to advocate or walk away from his throne but when you read uh, chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, you'll, you'll see that despite all the people who had followed Absalom, many of them followed out of faithfulness to the throne, not faithfulness to Absalom. And so David wasn't wrong in saying many had risen up to stay uh, with Absalom. But, what, but not, the truth is, not many had risen up against him personally. Not many had risen up against him personally. Now, maybe David didn't know that. But the truth is, David did have some people in the, inside the, 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 uh, the whole kingdom in Jerusalem that were still working for David, yet working undercover against Absalom. And the whole story is there, as I said in 2 Samuel. But, but so David, um, at the time, he felt that many were personally against him. And I'd like to refute that, 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 that thought and say, I don't think many were personally against him at all. I just think there was a lot, it talks about that, there was a lot who were just faithful to the throne and not to Absalom. There was a lot who didn't agree with the the way Absalom had done this. So the truth is, is, here's my point. When a person is feeling desperate and emotional about a situation, they can overstate the something. They can overstate it. And sometimes that can be called exaggeration, or even to the point where it's just plain lying. Or even... and, and why do they do that? Because they want to make people believe them or they want to get their point across. And so we'll use words. And in this case, David uses the words, many are against me personally. 
So in David's case, he's feeling overcome with emotion, and he uses the word many, which is an overstatement, uh, overstating it rather than speaking rationally about the truth. Look, maybe the truth is David didn't honestly know. But you know, I find myself sometimes, you know, in the midst of emotion, in the midst of it, maybe feeling life's unfair, I can use words that would want to magnify the problem, and, and it really isn't that true. I don't know. I think we can all do that at times. So it means that we can make the problem bigger than it really is by the words we use because we allow these words to infiltrate our mind. It causes unnecessary you know, feelings of revenge like I did with my little gentleman who was in the car yelling at me, wanted to have unforgiveness, wanted to just get back. I'm thinking, this is unfair. This shouldn't be happening. All these attitudes. And you know what? I've discovered it's my blood pressure goes up, but sometimes the other person doesn't. It's just me. I've got to deal with it. And that's the, I think that's the biggest part of the being unfair is because we get caught, we get sucked in to, to exaggerating or just going to overstating the problem and seeing it bigger than Ben-Hur when really it isn't that big. And it causes us anxiety and worry. So many moments of injustice against us become magnified in our minds, bigger than they really are. And words like many, many, you know, someone, someone can say, well, many people are against me. You know, if you had someone come to you and want to get across there, many, many things. And you say, how many is many? They say many. And when you get down to it, it's just one or two. Do you know what I'm saying? Or, or sometimes we can, we can use the word never. You never put the bin out. Come on, husbands, ever heard that? You never put the bin out. Well, never put the bin out? I did last month. Or, or, or maybe the word always. You always burn my toast. What, always? Do I always burn the toast? I didn't burn it last week. Can you see what I'm saying? You know, I'm going to tell you it's a, it, it is a, it's a ploy of human nature, but it's a ploy of the devil to come against us and to exaggerate and magnify the thing. And we get caught up in our words and what we speak, just like I believe David did. Satan says this, you know, right in Genesis chapter 1, sorry, Genesis chapter 3, we see this little conversation that happens between the serpent, uh, Satan and Eve. And in the end, in Genesis chapter 3, 1, part of the verse says, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of what? Every tree of the garden? What? And you've got to ask, was it every tree? Eve must ask herself, was it every tree? It was it every tree? Come on, church. How many trees was it that, that she couldn't eat of the garden? One. You see what Satan does? He, he, he exaggerates the issue, magnifies the problem, tries to put doubt in the mind of people so that then they would then they would discredit, and particularly Eve in this case, discredit God in the eyes of Adam and Eve. Well, God's not really interested in giving you the best. He's trying to keep every tree. Oh, well, not every, but at least that one. He's trying to make it bad for you. He doesn't really, he's not on your side. Can you see how it works? And this magnifying of the issue, we magnify the problem of injustice. And all it does is it makes us more anxious, more hurting, more revengeful, more unforgiving. We can magnify it. And David, David actually learned a lesson throughout his life. And he says, and really the lesson was, whatever you magnify becomes the all-consuming thing. Because he says in Psalm 69 verse 30, I will praise the, the, the uh, name of the God with a song. There's a verse there. I think we had it. 
I will praise the name of God with a song and will what? Magnify him with thanksgiving. Magnify God with thanksgiving. Magnify. You know, whatever you magnify, you'll, you'll be consumed by. If you magnify the problem, you could get consumed by it. If you magnify God, you know what magnify means to overstate something, doesn't it? I want to tell you, you may say, well, if I magnify God, will I overstate it? You can never overstate God's goodness. You can never overstate God's mercy. You can never overstate God's forgiveness. You can never overstate God's love. You can never overstate God's kindness because it's bigger than the universe, folks. So you can never outpraise uh, God. You can never praise God enough. See, whatever you magnify is going to be the thing that consumes you. So I see that, you know, one of the things that overcome unfairness and this attitude, it's unfair, is you can ask yourself, what do you magnify? Is it many? Well, no. You know, as I read Scripture in 2 Samuel, the truth is it wasn't many that David had against him. In the end, there was one who was really against him. (laughs) And, And you can read about it. Certainly Absalom, but there was another one, so maybe that's two. Uh, Maybe there was, but you know, so we've got to be aware. Here's the second thing. I love verse 2. It says this. Once again, David starts with the word many. Many are those who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for God. Did you notice um, what, what David's saying here? There's no help for him in God. David's declaring something maybe he's heard from someone else or it's been a a rumor that's passed on down to him. Do you know what they're saying about you, David? Maybe his men said, you know, David, they're saying that God's not going to help you. They're saying God doesn't care. And David repeats this and he writes. Now, David is totally honest. I wish I could be as honest as David sometimes. He's totally honest and he writes this and he says, you know, there's there's many who are saying there's no help from me from God. You know, God's not going to help me. In this injustice, there was, and you know what? That's a lie because David, I think, actually knew that was not true. But nonetheless, it got very loud in his mind. God doesn't care. And David, you know, as I thought about this, David was in good company because um, they said the same thing about Jesus Christ. They said God had left him. God had uh, rejected him. And, he, and it was on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 43. It, it says this, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. Did you notice what it says? Who's it talking about? It's talking about, this is the Pharisees at the bottom of the cross looking up at Jesus. And they say, let him, let God deliver him now if he will have him. In other words, I think God's rejected Jesus Christ. I think God's left him. Um, it's so interesting. So we, even Jesus, even the, had this accusation made against him. And I tell you, sometimes in the times when life seems unfair, this accusation or when it just seems to be going wrong, life is not hard. It's that moment in life when you've got to say, I'm not going to listen to the voice that says God doesn't care for me. Because I want to tell you, God cares for you today. There's never a time when he doesn't care for us. You might say, well, I I don't know about that. I, I, I pull away and I do things that aren't right. And I tell you what, God's still there. You cannot make him love you more than he loves you today and you cannot make him love you any less than he loves you today he cares and we can have this attitude oh god doesn't care um why would god so love the world that he gave his only son whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life why would he say that and then make up an excuse to keep us and to say he doesn't care for us 
Why would he make up an excuse to keep us out of his kingdom? Well, you know, no, no, he so loved, so loved. He just didn't love, he so loved. Verse 3. So if we just recap, it's the first one, it's what you magnify. And the second one is, it's what you believe in regards to what God thinks of you. Even in your worst day, God still has an incredible kindness. He, he directs towards us and loves us. The third verse says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You, O Lord, are a shield for me. My, my glory and the one who lifts my head. David reminds himself here of a couple things. He says, My glory and the one who lifts my head. This is a statement of humility and surrender to God. It's just a statement of, uh, now David, even though in the first two verses, he says, many are against me. The world is against me. David comes to this reality. He starts to think subjectively. And he start, you now he says, but you know what? But, did you notice the verse three, the first word is B-U-what-T. But, David says a lot of things. And one of the things he says a lot is the word but. And it's the turning point in his Psalms. It's always the moment where he says, you know, all this is happening, but God. We all need buts in our lives, don't we? You've heard me say that before, but that's the truth. Um, And it's two things. He says, my glory and the one who lifts my head. What's David saying? It's a statement of humility and surrender to God. And, And he says specifically, my glory. If you read that just isolated in itself, those two words, my glory, you think, was David just talking about his own glory, his own charisma, his own persona, his own wonderful personality? No, no, no. David's talking about God's glory on him. He's talking about, um, what does David, it says, Lord, you are a shield for me. You're my glory, God. Your glory on me. It's not about me and my glory. It's not about my charisma and my personality. It's about your glory on, on my life. That's what he's saying. It was God's glory. What does that mean? It means every good thing. It means every right thing. Every integral thing about David is because of God's favor and mercy and and, and ultimately wrapped up in this one word, glory. God's glory on David. And I want to tell you today, every good thing, every right thing, every integral thing about me today and and every right, integral and good thing about you today, ultimately, where does it come from? It comes from him. And the more we draw near to Him, the more of His glory He comes upon our lives. The more mercy, more grace. I need more mercy and grace. I need more of it today than I did yesterday. I don't know about you today, but it just takes a simple prayer, a simple heart desire sometimes to receive it. And David knew this. The next thing David said was this. He says, not only is He my glory, but He's the lifter of my, come on, what is it? My head. The lifter literally means to rise again. That's what it means. If you were to put it and take it back to the original, uh, um, uh, it would be Hebrew because it's Old Testament. If, and then reinterpret it, you can interpret it. as It's just the, the uh, interpreters who wrote it just had to use a word. So they used, he lifts up, which is a great word. He lifts up my head or he raises me up. He raises me up. I love this thought. Um, the truth is, in the midst of sometimes sensing and feeling this is unfair, Life's unfair. These things shouldn't happen to me. Um, Because life has its down moments, moments of disappointment, struggle with the heart. But to continue, you know, we've got to get to a point where we don't stay down, but we've got to rise up and we've got to see beyond it. We've got to see. And that's what God says to David. I'm going to raise you up, David. Come on. And David knew it. That's why he wrote it. He's going to be, I I know I've faced all these 
um, all these things against me. But there's going to come a day when he's going to be my glory, his mercy, his kindness, and he's going to raise me up out of this situation. David couldn't have said a truer word because within three years, David was back on his throne. And unfortunately, Absalom, his son, was dead, which was very sad to David. He didn't take any pleasure in the death of his son. But we see David says, come on, I'm gonna, uh, there's a belief that I'm going to rise up. I, I was, some, some, probably over a year ago, I, I, I read this story and I just have to use it because it's just incredibly powerful in what God wants to say to you this morning. Because there needs to come a rising in some of our lives. Out of that which wants to keep you down, there needs to come a rising. A rising out of the, the attitudes of hurtfulness and unforgiveness and a rising of the revenge and those things that just want to say, well, life just stinks. I want to tell you, life, it can stink, but I tell you, life can be so good. It really depends on what you think on sometimes, isn't it? I want to encourage you. Here's a story. In 1979, there was a tugboat coming down uh, a river in Alabama in USA. And as it came down, it had, a, it had, a, it had another um, uh, a load of coal, not on the tugboat itself, it was just pulling the coal. The, the, the river was in flood, and as the, he dropped off his coal bundle, um, the uh, tugboat, the captain of the tugboat, then put his uh, boat in full reverse, the 1800 horsepower twin motors in full reverse against the flow of the river which was in flood as I said and quite high and as he put them in reverse he was making ground and the thing that he was concerned about there was a bridge just some meters away where he dropped the coal to, to the, uh, the to the bank and he didn't want to get entangled in the bridge and so as he put it in reverse he's backing up away from the bridge but then the flow of the water was so strong it actually turned his tug sideways and pushed him into the bridge I just want to show you the picture this is a true story okay there's a picture of the first slide thanks Petra on the top left is the tugboat he's actually trying to pull away from the bridge the second one on the top right is he's up against now against the bridge and the third one shows you what's happening he's starting to get pushed under the bridge can you see that okay let me go on with the story so what happened was the tide was so strong that it did literally push the tugboat under the bridge Thankfully, it just didn't stay under the bridge. the bridge. The boat scraped along the bottom of the bridge, went under the bridge, and then popped up on the other side, not only upright, but with the captain still at the wheel of the boat. How do you do that? Now, if you're a boat boaty here, you'll appreciate uh, being fully submersed in water and coming up on the other side, still hanging onto your steering wheel or the uh, whatever you call that thing. Um, uh, that's a pretty good day. Would you agree? Because you can appreciate the captain thought, well, this is my end. I'm finished. I'm going to drown. But he pops up on the other side. Let me show you the pictures of the other side. So we go to the other side. Here he is, top left. He's coming out from under the bridge. The next one, he's, the boat's popping back up. All the water is coming off the deck and out of the uh, wheelhouse. And then the third one on the bottom is just reflecting that, once again, the boat's rectifying and riding itself. And I asked myself a question as I read this story and looked at these pictures and I said, what, how in the world did that boat actually do that? How did the boat captain do that? Well, the boat captain didn't do it. The boat did. And the reason that the boat was able to do that is because it had a thing called ballast. It had a meter of concrete in the bottom of the boat. It was like a cork 
you could tip that cork over, push it over, it's just going to come back upright. It might go like that, but it's going to come back upright. There was so much ballast in the bottom of this tugboat, it could never sink because it was always going to flip back up. And with the air that was still in the cabin and inside the um, engineering compartment, that air allowed it to, to bounce back up and the concrete allowed it to rectify itself. It had ballast. And as I started to think about the realities of that, David had a ballast. Even though everything was unfair, even though he's got a son that he loves, who was treating him so dishonorably, wanting his throne and wanting his life, David had a ballast. And that ballast, folks, was in the short answer and was God. <laughs> the truth is that ballast was the fact that he said, you know what, I'm going to rise again. I'm trusting in my heavenly Father. And you know what? We can sometimes get pushed under the waves. We get pushed under the water. We get pushed down in life. We feel like we're drowning in life. We're drowning in um, just thoughts that are so negative. And yet I want to tell you, when we have God at the center, God as the, as the uh, meter, square, meter of concrete in our lives, that strength, because it says God is a rock, isn't he? You know, we're going to pop up again. Because your focus is not on what the problem is. You're not magnifying it. You're giving focus to God. And He is the ballast that brings us upright. He wants us to rise again. He wants us to rise again. David said in Psalm 60 verse 12, Though God, through God we will do valiantly, for it is He who will tread down our enemies. Notice what David's confession is. Through God. And then secondly, um, it's God, not me. It's God will tread down my enemies it's God not me folks I want to say you don't have to try and seek revenge and you know you don't have to seek it you know what you're just going to seek him and he deals with that issue it's he's going to be the ballast in your life because you haven't got heavenly father there in your life I tell you what you're just going to find that you can stay under that water and that's not a good outcome it's not a good result but if he's the ballast of our life we pop back up. We rise again. David says, I will rise again. He'll be the lifter of my head. Come on. Here's the last thing we're going to finish with today. Verse 4 says this. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And then it says, Selah, which means pause, reflect. David said, God has heard me from his holy hill. The word holy hill is a direct reference to the location of the ark of the covenant of God. You know that wonderful that box with the angels on top and the Ten Commandments are inside. And it was, it was carted around the wilderness for so many, uh, for 40 years by the children of Israel because it represented the presence of God and they would put it in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in the tabernacle. So, and, and David now makes reference to the Ark of the Covenant. Where's the Ark of the Covenant? It's in the temple in Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem? It's on a hill. Jerusalem is 885 uh, meters above sea level. I've been there. It, that's why it, it gets quite cool in Jerusalem. 13 degrees was the ho- one day. It was in Jerusalem throughout the day. So it's on a hill. And on the, on the Temple Mount is where the temple, the temple of God was. It's not there anymore. Um, it's an empty. But the, but the truth is, David makes reference to the holy hill, talking about the temple of God, the presence of God. That's where the presence of God is. David's talking about, you know, he says, he heard me. His holy presence, he's heard me. God's heard me. So the, the interesting thing is, though Absalom took over Jerusalem, Absalom came in and took over Jerusalem and forced David out of the capital, David knew that it wasn't Absalom's, Absalom who was enthroned on the God's holy hill. It wasn't Absalom. 
the Lord himself still held the ground and would hear and would help David from his holy hill, his presence, his presence. And here's the truth. Though, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't allow the thing to consume us so much about what's unfair. That we forget the reality that God's, His presence is still can reign in our lives. It's His presence that actually brings the shift in our hearts. It's His presence that actually does something beautiful in our lives. And my concern is that we can lose or we are losing His sense of His presence. His Holy Spirit working in our hearts. I don't want us to lose that church. I don't want us to lose the reality of His presence. Because His presence, more than a sermon, His presence will do incredible things. Just His, Him in us. Come on. Would you agree this morning? It's, David said, you know what? This God, his pre- He's heard me. His presence is going to come and rescue me. His presence will always be with me. And even though it may be associated with the a, with a Ark of the Covenant, with God's presence inside the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, on the holy hill, the truth is His presence can still go with me, even on this side of the Jordan, while I'm fleeing from my son who wants to kill me. His presence, His presence. And if I could say His presence is the ballast for your life, that you'll rise again. Do you know Jesus Christ went to a holy hill? It was called Calvary. And on Calvary... He died on a cross, and in that place, He died for the humanity. He took all the filthy stuff of our lives, all the sin, and He said, you know what? My death, my, my rising again, I ro- I, he, he rose from that time. He rose out of that place, and He said, you know, all of this, all that I do is what you need, and it's all for you. And I love the fact, and if Jesus Christ can rise, He says, if Jesus Christ could rise, we can rise as well. We can know His strength. We can know His hope. We can know His presence. And so today, churches, we just come. Have we been had that sense of unfairness in life? It can happen. If it's not, you're not sensing that today, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad about that. But if it comes, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you? What do we do? How do we deal with that? Do we seek revenge, unforgiveness, hold that in our hearts? You know that's the truth. We can't do that. It just screws us up, having those kind of bitterness. In actual fact, it's the very reason Absalom tried to take the throne off David. He was so twisted and bitter because of a whole, and I haven't got time to give you the whole story. In 2 Samuel, as I said, from chapter 15 on, it tells us, but Absalom was so bitter. He was the direct contrast to David. How did David stay king of Israel? Because he kept his sweet spirit. He kept his heart after God. He kept the presence of God close. Or he kept close to the presence of God. And if we were to look at today, may I encourage you, what do we do when unfairness comes knocking on our door? Well, let your mind magnify him and not the problem. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't care. Do surrender to God and make him your ballast so you can rise again. And let God occupy the throne of your life. Let Him occupy that holy hill in your heart. Don't you occupy it. Don't you allow it. Let Him, you sit at His feet. Let Him sit on the throne of your heart. And not something else like my ego or my pride or my love. Can we have the team today? I want to pray for you today, church. If you know that there's things today that just say, Father, 
and more of you. I don't know if, you know, more of you. I need more of Him. I need more of Him every day. More of His presence. More of His love. More of His kindness. More of His mercy. More of His goodness. And, you know, church, you know what challenges me? We can sit here today and just kind of know it, but not it but really not know it, never experience it. I just, my heart would be that we would know Him and not just know about Him. Know Him. Because He's got more for you, more for you, more for you. More of His holy presence. Come on. Can we stand today? I just want to pray uh, today as we finish. He's so good. You know, today, can I just pray for you? Maybe you're here today and say, yep, just pray today. Um, My prayer isn't more powerful than yours necessarily, but my prayer would be that there would be just some strength that come into your heart. And all the things that want to worry you, all the things that want to torment you, all the, sometimes the unfairness, and I acknowledge this unfairness, that today that you would hand that over, that you would give it over, that even if you've got nothing present in your life at the moment that is... You're saying, oh, it's just someone dead. But there may be in the future. And my prayer would be for that God would strengthen you at those moments to say, hey, God, it's okay. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to magnify you today. And if today you want to, if you just say there's something particular or there's something I just don't want my future to be that way, I'm just going to stand strong and, I, and let's just pray. Can I pray for you? Can we close our eyes today? Can I just pray for you? Would you just lift your hand for God today if that's your, you just say, yep. Include me. Because I just think we've got to, by faith, reach out sometimes. And not just stand and say, oh, it's okay. No, no, no. Just say, Lord, yeah, more of you. More of you today. Father, today, I just thank you for every person who has their hands raised. And I just pray, uh, Father God, that we acknowledge we are far from perfect. (laughs) But God, we just thank you that you're a perfect God. And all our struggles sometimes help us to trust you in these times when just the world's unfair. Lord, today I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would help them and strengthen them. And Lord, to have you at the center so that they'd be able to rise again and pop up in the midst of the weight of the struggle would not hold them down, but they would know a rising and a giving up of that which wants to come and pull them down, of that that sense of revenge, that sense of unforgiveness, that sense of, you know, I'm just hurt and I'm always going to stay hurt. No, no, that they'll have a heart that Father would say, God, you are good. And I magnify you above this issue, this problem, and I give you thanks that you're capable of giving me the strength. So Holy Spirit, strengthen them today. I ask, invade their hearts and lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And everyone agreed, said, amen. Come on. Can we sing this song today? so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it. If you choose someone like me to carry your victory, perfection could never earn it. Yes, Lord. You give what we don't deserve it. You take the broken. Come on, let's just push into this morning and worship Him today. We love you, Lord. You are my champion, giants for when you stand up defeated, every battle you 
Thank you, Father. Now I can finally see it. You're teaching me how to receive it. So let all the striving cease. This is my victory. Father, we do commit ourselves this day to you. We thank you that you are God of, you're the God of the up, not the down. We thank you, Father, that you're the God, Lord, that has risen for us so that we can rise again. And we commit ourselves to you as we go into this day, this week. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, church. Encourage someone today. That'd be brilliant.